Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. <coughs> verse 14, I'm going to read down through verse 48. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. Some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that scattereth not with me, he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God, and keep it. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that is ours to meet together here this morning. Thank you for each one that's come. And I pray, Father, as we now look into the word of God, that you would quiet our hearts before you and help us to center our attention and our thoughts and our heart upon thee, that we might receive that which you'd have for us today. Pray that the Spirit of God would have free course in each heart and life. I pray that where their sin, that the Lord, you might deal with it. Father, I pray if there be any within our midst without Christ, that the Spirit of God would convict them of their sin, their need to repent. Help them to see that they can't be divided. I pray that you would just work, glorify yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this message is simply, Overcoming Through Christ. Overcoming Through Christ. You know, this, this is a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 12. And there, when Jesus said, they, when they referred to Jesus casting out devils by the prince of devils, of course, Beelzebub, Jesus said that it was a blasphemy of the Holy Ghost and, and they had committed the unpardonable sin. And that maybe, maybe, many people call that the unpardonable sin. Of course, really what that is is a rejection, a final rejection, I believe, on the Pharisees' part of Jesus Christ as who he was. Uh, from then on, Jesus began to speak unto them in parables. And the reason, and, and the disciples asked him, why do you speak unto them in parables? He said, so I speak unto the parables so that hearing they hear not, 
and seeing they see not. But he explained the parables to the disciples. You know, it's a dangerous thing to hear the word of God over and over and over again and to not respond in a positive way. It's a very dangerous thing. This morning, we'll look at a couple of things. First of all, the fallacy of a divided house. Secondly, the folly of self-reformation. And then the third thing is that the fullness of victory we can have through Christ. First of all, the fallacy of a house divided. You know, this is a great deception or false notion of many people that they think that they can have God and the world. That they can have God and the world. That's a fallacy. That's a deception. It's a false notion. Jesus said in verse 17 that a divided house is a falling house. You notice he says here, But he that knoweth their thoughts said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. You know, it kind of reminds me of where, where Jesus said that you know, the wise man builds his house upon a rock, and the rains came, and the floods ascended, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. He had good intentions, just like the wise man did. He didn't dig down deep and prepare a foundation. You know, I believe the best example of the divided house we have in the scriptures is found in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, in the life of the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel, as he speaks to the people of Israel. In 1 Kings 18, verses 20 and 21. 1 Kings 18, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm in 2 Kings. 1 Kings, something didn't look right. 1 Kings 18, and verses 20 and 21, he says, And Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. That's what Elijah told him to do. And it says, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God... Follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. So how long halt you between two opinions? How long are you going to halt between two sides? That's the idea, two sides. You're going to play both sides here. They were playing both sides. They said they worshipped God, but yet they had all these groves and high places that they worshipped Baal. You know, that, that may be you today. Yeah, but, you know, they had a good opinion of God, but they're not willing to trust Him completely with their life. Oh, they would not curse God or speak ill of Him, but are not convinced that He's trustworthy. You wouldn't say God is evil, but are not sure He has your best interest in mind. You know, you know you're not always wise, but think it's better for you to re- retain control of your life and not God. Like Cain, Cain acknowledged there was a God. He acknowledged God. But he wanted to do his things his own way, which he thought was better than God's way. In Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, again, the Pharisees, this, this is very... Uh, another example of this in Matthew chapter 6, 
verses 19 through 24. He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If thine, therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. You can't halt between two opinions. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, the Pharisees said they served God. They would have claimed to serve God. They said Abraham is our father. We're the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is our father. They would do their alms to be seen of men. They would pray on the street corners long prayers to be seen of men. They were laying up treasures on earth. Now they would say that you know, everything that we have is Corbin. In other words, it's dedicated to God. So therefore, Dad and Mom, I'm sorry, we can't take what is ours and take responsibility in taking care of you in your old age. We can't honor you because we've dedicated everything to God. They had turned, they had turned the sacrifices in the temple into a financial racket. That's why Jesus overthrew the money changers and he called it a den of thieves or a house of, you've made it a house of merchandise. See, what they were doing is they had, they had set up a, 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 a good uh, um, merchandise racket in there because if you, if, you you know, if you would bring an offering, of course, it was to be without blemish. The priest's responsibility was to inspect your offering. And obviously, there was always something wrong with your offering. So you had to go buy from the money changers an offering that was acceptable. It was a money racket. They had turned it into a money racket for their own financial gain. These were the people that said, we serve God. See, they were divided. They were a house divided against themselves. So like this, back in August, I talked to a man about his soul at visitation one evening. And he said he really wanted to do this Bible study. He said, but I can't do it right now. He said, can you call me in September? Because of some business circumstances they had, they, they just wouldn't, wouldn't work in August. So he said, can you call me in September? I said, sure. So I took his name and telephone number down, and I thought I'll wait for September. So the second week of December, or September, I call him. Well, you know, he really liked to do it, but he bought another business franchise, and his time was all tied up. You see, a divided house. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. You'll serve one and hate the other. You'll hate one and serve the other. So a divided house is a falling house. 
And the second thing, we say, you show by your actions whose side you're on. Notice in verse 23 of our text, he says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Now the phrase there, not with me, means he's, you're not behind. It is not clearly evident that you are supportive of. That's the idea. So it's not clearly evident. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you don't have, you're not really following me. You, you, you're, not, you're not behind me. You're not supportive of me. You're just trying to, well, oh, you sort of like, you like what we do. You like what I do. But you're not supportive of it. And then it says, he that gathereth not. And it's interesting, that word gathereth there is synago, where we get the word synagogue. Which means to gather together. The synagogue was where they assembled. It was the church, you might say, the assembly in the New Testament or in the Gospels. That's where, they, that's where the Jews assembled on the Sabbath day for the reading of the Word of God. And, that, and Jesus would go to the synagogue and read the Scriptures. We have several accounts of that in, in, in the Gospels. And Paul, when he was going on his missionary journeys, he'd, he'd go to the synagogues first it was to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But he'd go to the synagogues first and, and, and they'd give him opportunity to read the scriptures and expound them. And usually, you know, usually he got kicked out. After he started explaining things to them, they'd, they'd throw him out, you know, and then he'd go to the Gentiles. But it was the place where they gathered together. So the, Jesus is saying here, if you're not supportive of me, and if you're not assembling or following after me, you're not with me. You're not with me. In Mark chapter 10, we have the account of the rich young ruler. And if you would read that, you'd have to say, well, he, it looks like he loved the Lord. I mean, he was dedicated himself to keeping the commandments. There was strict obedience to the letter of the law. You know, Jesus quoted him some of the commandments. You know, honor thy father and mother, and, and uh, uh, thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not steal. And some of those commandments, he says, all these have I kept from my youth up. I mean, he worked at it. But he failed in one. And his actions proved it. Jesus said, Go sell what thou hast, and give it to the poor, and come follow me. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. He's very sorrowful at that saying. And the Bible says, He went away. See, his loyalty is now revealed. Who he's really following who he's really supportive of, who he will gather after, and that's his money. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, we think about the Pharisees and their rejection of Jesus Christ. However, they all knew who he was. Remember what Nicodemus said in John chapter 3 and verse 2? And he said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do those miracles thou doest except God be with him. We know who you are. But their actions proved who they were. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Matthew 7. Verse 15, beware of false prophets 
which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Notice, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew ye. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and so on. So he that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them. He says, not everyone that saith, you know, the Pharisees acknowledged that there was God. They believed in God. You see, we show by our actions whose side we're on. By their fruits, ye shall know them. Yet a lot of people will tell you they're saved. But you know, I've come to the conclusion that maybe I need to be a little more blunt say, preacher, maybe that's not so kind. Maybe it is, and maybe it's not. You know, there's people you'll, you'll meet in visitation will tell you, oh, yeah, they're saved, and they can tell you all this and that, but I haven't seen any evidence. Where's the evidence? See, Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus said that by your actions, you will show whose side you are on. It will be determined by, by your actions. If you're not with me, if you're not behind me, and if you're not gathering after me, you're against me. You're against me. So we see the fallacy of a house divided. Secondly, the folly of self-reformation. In verse 24, he says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now Matthew Henry in his commentary on this passage said this, This is a condition of a formal hypocrite. His bright side and his dark side. His heart still remains the devil's house. He calls it his own and re he retains his interest in it, and yet the unclean spirit is gone out. Now you see two, three, three things here he mentions. Number one, the unclean spirit is gone out. In other words, he wasn't cast out. There wasn't some greater power, as we see a stronger man in verse 22, that cast him out or thrust him out or caused him to have to leave. He's just gone out. It's like he's left on his own volunteer. He was not driven out by the power of uh, the grace of God. Uh, he's just gone. Or he's turned himself into an angel of light. You know, Paul tells us under inspiration in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians I think it is, that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 
And so we see that he's gone out. We see the house is swept. Matthew Henry, again, in his commentary, said this, I quote, The house was swept from common pollutions by a forced confession of sin as Pharaoh's, a feigned contrition for it as Ahab's, and a partial reformation as Herod's. There are those that have escaped the pollutions of the world and yet are still under the power of the God of this world. The house is swept, but is not washed. And Christ hath said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. The house must be washed, or it is none of his. Sweeping only takes off the loose dirt, while the sin that besets the sinner, the beloved sin, is untouched. It is swept from the filth that lies open to the eyes of the world, but it is not searched and ransacked for secret filthiness. It is swept, but the leprosy in the wall is in the wall and will be something it will be till something more be done. You know, in Second Peter two, verses twenty and twenty one, the Bible says, For after that they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. You know, in other words, these people have heard the gospel, they've heard the truths of the word of God, and it has brought some reformation in their life. You know, a lot of people, to a lot of people, Christianity is attractive for its moral qualities. There are a lot of moral qualities to Christianity. But that's as far as it goes. They don't really see themselves as wicked, uh, having an evil heart that, that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, as Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us. They, didn't, they don't see themselves as sinful, wicked, and vile in the sight of God. I mean, after all, I'm better than so-and-so. You know, you know, I've thought about this. You know, sometimes a casual reading and study of the Word of God can be dangerous. You don't study it thoroughly to understand what it really is teaching. I mean, the Ten Commandments are great standards to live by. But if you don't understand the purpose of the Ten Commandments, you've missed the boat, so to speak. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show us that we cannot, we fall short of the glory of God. We cannot reach the righteous standard of God. And therefore, we need a Savior, a substitute, to save us from our sin. So it's just a swept house. It's also garnished. The word garnished here, he says that, that the house is, that we findeth the house, it's swept and garnished. The word garnished means it's to ornament. Ornament. To adorn. Again, Matthew Henry said, and this is commentary, quote, the house is garnished with common gifts and graces. It is not furnished with any true grace, but garnished with the pictures of all graces. Simon Magnus was guard, guard, garnished with faith, Balaam with good desires, Herod with respect for John, the Pharisees with any external performances. I mean, if you were to look at the Pharisees, 
Man, you look, you, man, this is the fundamentalists of the day. They look so good. He says, it is garnished, but it is like pot shirt covered with silver dross. It is all paint and varnish, not real nor lasting. The house is garnished, but the property is all not altered. It was never surrendered to Christ, nor inhabited by the Spirit. You see, you can grow up in a church like this, look right, dress like, talk right, act right, appear right, but inwardly have an obstinate heart of stubbornness and rebellion, which is as witchcraft. Second Timothy 3.5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And of course, the power thereof is referring to the Spirit of God to transform the inner man. The heart. Now, Romans 10.10 10 says, With the heart man believeth. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You know, with the mouth confession is made, but it's the heart that man believeth. Matthew 15, 8. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 23, 25 through 30. Again, the Pharisees' claim was that they, they, that they, in fact, let's turn over there. Matthew 23, verse 25 through 30. And this is an interesting thought as I was considering this. Matthew 23, verse 25. Um, it says woe unto you scribes Pharisees hypocrites for you make clean the outside of the cup and a platter but when they are full of extortion and excess thou blind Pharisee cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also and of course she's talking about the heart there woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you, you are like unto whited sepulchres which indeed appear beautiful outward but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build, notice this, ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them of the blood of the prophets. Hmm. So the Pharisees are claiming here, you know, if we lived back then, we would not have put Zechariah to death. We would not have been like Cain and killed Abel. We would have not killed Isaiah. We would not have martyred all the prophets, the great prophets of God who spoke the word. We would not have killed them. I mean, after all, they decorated their tombs. They put flowers at the tombs and ornate decorations and ought to honor them, the prophets that spoke the word of God. So they honored their memory, and yet they hated the, and would not follow the one of whom the prophets spoke. What a contradiction. In fact, they would kill him also, just like their 
fathers killed the prophets. The interesting thing is, yeah, they knew their history. but continued in the wickedness of those before them. They recognized there was a problem back then, but refused to acknowledge the source of the problem. It was their sin and rebellion against God. And they would not follow the whole counsel of the word of God uh, or gather together, so they would pick and choose. They were their own authority. In fact, Jesus said in uh, uh, verse 35, Verse 34 and 35, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew. In other words, he gives them credit for slaying him between the temple and the altar. You know, self-reformation is the worst state of being. It gives a false assurance. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And Jesus told the Pharisees that they would go hither land and sea and find one a proselyte and make him twofold more the child of hell than themselves. And really what that means is you make it twice as hard for that person to really come to the truth because they have a form of godliness. So the folly of self-reformation. But I want you to notice the third thing. The fullness of victory through Christ. This verse is in our text, verses 20 through 22. It says, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon them, him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. Now this is, this is really a picture when we repent and by faith receive Christ, as our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, we are translated, first of all, we're translated from the kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of Satan, to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of light. In Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And, and the, the, when, it, when he speaks here of a stronger than he, Jesus is referring to himself. He is stronger than the devil. And he, only he can overcome him. And when he does, and we by faith, we overcome him, and we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And he, notice he says here, The kingdom of God is come upon you. And there's Rick Lexicon speaking of that says, Of that upon which any action, effect, or condition rests as a basis of support properly upon the ground of, and of that upon which anything is sustained or upheld. So, so we have, when, when he says the kingdom of, God, of heaven has come upon you, 
uh, in, in uh, verse 20, <coughs> he said that, made that statement. That's talking about the basis or the support or upon the ground which we are then upheld or overcome the power of Satan. So our actions then have a new basis of operation, a new foundation. It's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. It is a new source of strength and power. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So when we repent and by faith receive Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has come upon us. We have a new foundation, a new source of power and strength to overcome the devil and the world and the flesh. You know, First Thessalonians 2, 12 and 13 says that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, received it not as the word of men, but as it is the, in truth the word of God which effectually worketh. Also in you the belief. So we have a new source of power that will effectually work. That's the word of God. We've been placed into the kingdom of God. And, and so, so we, we've been translated into the kingdom of God. But we also, Christ provides complete, complete victory. He is Lord of all. Notice verse 22. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. Now I want to define a couple words here. Overcomes. The word overcomes here in verse 22 means to carry off to victory. Full and complete. So, of course, the Lord Jesus is the one that's stronger than he and he will overcome. He'll carry off to victory. It's a, we would say it's a complete route. In Hebrews 2.14, the Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So it was a complete victory. It was a complete rout. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 57 says, be Thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the victory in Him. So He overcomes. He also recovers or reclaims the service of men. Now notice verse 22 again it says, But when a stronger than he shall, over, shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. The phrase there, he taketh from him all his armor. The word armor means to be fully armed. The word divideth means to distribute or to divide or to restore. And the spoils, the spoils is a picture of your skinning an animal. You ripped the hide off. You stripped him off. See, Satan has been stripped 
of all his arms. And, the, and when it says here, he spoils, it refers to arms, not these, but weapons. So when Christ comes in, he strips the devil of all his weapons. You realize that men are weapons in the hands of the devil? And men are weapons in the hand of the Lord. But when the Lord Jesus comes in, he strips the devil of all his weapons. You know, when the British surrendered at Yorktown, one of the results of that was they were stripped of their weapons. They brought them, marched out, and they, they laid down their arms at the feet of the Continental Army. And, and through Christ, God reclaims the service of men. Think about this. God was made man in his image and his likeness. He made man for fellowship, to bring glory to God, to be a witness for him. Through sin, he has lost that. Man became, becomes a servant to sin. He becomes a, a service to Satan, a soldier for the devil, the God of this world. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into one's life, he strips the devil of all his weapons, his arms, his feet, his lips, his talents, his abilities, which were given by God, created by God, and they are reclaimed for his army. They're reclaimed. In Romans 6, 20 and 22 through 22 says, For when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. And we have a, a, a classic example of this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. Of course, Paul went to, the, to Thessalonica, preached the gospel, and a church was established there, and later he wrote, and this is what he said about it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, we give the thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Now, think about it. These were the same people who prior to Paul's going to Thessalonica went to the pagan temple and would prostitute themselves there and worship these pagan gods. And now he says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, membering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath.
you know, Second Chronicles, the Bible tells us about Manasseh. King Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. And Manasseh was the devil's arms. He was the devil's weapon in destroying Judah. You know, he erected a temple or an altar to a false god in the temple and destroyed the the altar of the Lord. And he he led Judah to, to worship false gods. And God brought... The Syrians, I believe it was the Syrians upon him, and, and he was put in affliction and carried off to Assyria for a time. And in his affliction, the devil was overcome by the Lord, the stronger man, and he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he gets right with God, and he comes back to Jerusalem, and he destroys the temple, or the, the altar that he had previously built to strange gods. And he repairs and restores the altar of the Lord. And he witnessed for the Lord. He commanded Judah to serve the Lord. You see, the tool of Satan had been converted or reclaimed as a tool for the Lord. But you know, God won't force himself in. God won't force himself in. You know, the interesting thing about that I have learned is that the Lord would tell the Pharisees about the judgment that was coming their way and then let them decide. You see, we have to allow the Lord to take control of our life. We have to surrender ourselves to Him. You know, in His affliction, Manasseh surrendered himself to the Lord. And He became, He became a vessel for the Lord. His kingdom was restored. He became useful in the service of the Lord. He had been reclaimed. And Manasseh is with the Lord today. But where are you? What kind of heart do you have? You know, have you surrendered your heart to the Lord, or is it divided? Or have you deceived yourself in thinking, well, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. No, the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us meet the righteous standard of a holy and righteous God. We need to substitute. We need a Savior. Have you trusted Him? Have you surrendered your life to Him? The question is, 
Jesus said, are you with me? Are you gathering with me? Or are you against me? And scatter. You can't be both. You must choose. You wrote, or John, 1 John, or John 1 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Have you received him as your Lord and as your Savior? He's the strong man that will overcome the wicked one and give you new life in Christ. Do you have that this morning?